My name is Britt Hicks, and you are listening to another Exvangelical podcast. On this podcast, I interview people from all walks of life who in some way identify with the term Exvangelical. On that note, everyone has their own personal story, their own vocabulary, Uh, When listening to this podcast, there may be things that you agree with and things that you don't agree with, and I invite you to just to sit and hold space for the person that you're listening to. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Instagram or on Facebook. You can find us at Another Exvangelical Podcast. On all streaming platforms, you can also leave reviews on, I believe, any platform that you're listening to. I know you can on Spotify, but the best way to reach me is through Facebook and Instagram. I would love to hear from y'all. Let me know what you want to hear in season two. Let me know what you liked, what you didn't like, um, what uh, was hard to digest in season one. I really, really would love to hear from y'all. You can send me a private message or you can message under the uh, the picture of the episode that you would like to comment on. Y'all take care. All right. So we have Carrie Holly Hurt with us again. Um, this time, Carrie is going to interview me because I guess people want to know my story as well and i think it's fitting since you know i do a lot of the interviews you hear a little like snippets <laughs> sure <laughs> i am very excited thank you so much for letting me interview you i am a big fan of this podcast and i kept hearing those snippets of your story and so carrie holly hurt i know Britt because we both go to austin presbyterian theological seminary Britt, you're gonna graduate i think ahead of me by a semester our first fund outside of class experience was when you messaged me going, oh my God, this Christology paper is going to be the end of me. <laughs> that was very cute. <laughs> <laughs> we just both went off <laughs> on Calvin. I want to know everything about you. So I would love to, for you to tell me, give me your biographical information. Where are you from and what are the places that formed you as a kid? Usually when people ask where I'm from, I just say Texas and it sounds like a major smart ass answer, but it's true because I was born in Austin. Uh, we moved very quickly up to Lubbock. My my dad and his family were around West Texas. He was born in Kermit, Texas, where we're probably the only two people <laughs> that we know here that know where, you know, knows where Kermit's at. And so... Yeah, so Lubbock, and we was, uh, me and my mom, it was hard for her to find a job in Lubbock. She worked in the apartment industry, so moved to Houston. That's where her her mom was. Spent the remainder of my childhood there and graduated from high school, from Kingwood High School in 2003. Sometime in Lubbock, like we moved to Dallas for a little bit. So then I've also lived in San Antonio for about 10 years right before coming to to Austin. And I was in the military. I was in the Navy for four years. So I served, did boot camp in TAD to Dubai. Dubai was cool. It's a very complicated city. 
meaning that there's like a lot of corruption and a lot of things that you don't really see from the the surface. And then I spent the remainder of my military service in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, which was a major culture shock. (laughs) <laughs> from coming from Dubai I is Dubai and Bahrain um, is where I really like got introduced to different cultures and I think that was really where my like evangelical like roots started really being questioned because I'm meeting all these people from these different countries and religions and I'm like they don't seem like bad people you know and trying all these different foods you know like there was a lot of uh, Lebanese food, Korean food, like just a literal melt, melting pot. Yeah. And then to go to Oklahoma where it's like burgers and steak and, you know, it's just like very like. And landlocked. I'm yes. so confused about that. Yeah. Yeah. We <laughs> Did had, they not uh, know there was the notion there? <laughs> yeah. We have, uh, they're called the uh, Takamo airplanes. And so it's got like this little plunger thing at the end of it that whenever they go over like say Afghanistan or something, it shoots out and it's uh, kind of like a radar detector type thing. So it's like a kind of like a spy plane. So our position there was to guard those. And we also did um, law enforcement, which I was not good at, um, which was like pulling people over on base. And yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so that's, that's a, a kind of like where I've, you know, been, oh yeah. And then <laughs> the, the one part of my life that I really try to forget about when I was in the internship that y'all heard about in Baton Rouge, Louisiana from 09 to 10, that was right before I moved to San Antonio. So I, I did that after the military, went back to Houston for a little bit and then moved to San Antonio for 10 years. That, at that Baptist church when you were 11, tell me about falling in love with God, with the church and, and, and what that looked like. Cause from what I understand you, that was all you, that wasn't mm-hmm. external Horses, yeah. Right? Yeah. So I went to church by myself. Um, I actually went with my stepsister. She had a friend that was part of the youth group and I went and I think she like, I don't remember her going anymore. After, you know, it's just, you know, kids do. They're like, we'll check this yeah. out. And then they're, you know, they've moved on to something else. Um, and I don't really know what it was like other than just having this interest and this kind of, I don't know, I like as much as I get annoyed by John Calvin, but you know, John Calvin talks about like the elect and I'm like, if I hear the word elect one more time, oh my God. But it makes (laughs) sense in a way of like, you know, you just have like this like gut feeling, this calling that you can't get away from, even if you try. But I remember right before I went, uh, just thinking something as simple as like, I want a cross necklace. I don't know why, but I just, I feel like I want a cross necklace. And I can't remember if, I think we had gone to, my uncle was in the Navy and we went to San Diego and down to Tijuana and I got like this little wooden, you know, cross necklace thing. But yeah, I I feel like that's, it was just being drawn into the person of Jesus. Cause that's like the biggest thing that, that stands out, you know? And did that stay with you the whole time? Like through, from the time you were 11 to the time you were going into the military? Yeah. Because I think that's what it was like, even, you know, kind of like reflecting yesterday, yesterday was a Pentecost. I don't know when this is going to air, but May 28th was Pentecost. And just thinking of this, like, you know, you try to get away from the church that would call me back no matter like where I was, even like the most difficult times of my life, you know, that there was always that still small voice, like, it's okay, I'm here. And were you in church that whole time? And, and, was it Baptist Church? Was it Assemblies of God? Where were you as you were kind of staying with that still small voice, but also right. like um, growing and evolving and becoming a full-fledged adult? 
Yeah, Lubbock was the Baptist church, and then we moved to Houston. Well, okay, let's go back to Lubbock real quick. Um, I was a, I was a very odd kid. So <laughs> I would come home, turn on TVN, and I would watch uh, like Jesse Duplantis and Rod Parsley. Like I, I would just watch TVN all the time, right? Like I just, I love just seeing like tangible works of the spirit, right? Like I just, I was all about it. <laughs> and I remember one time like really getting into it and probably like dancing a little bit in my room and my pocket started heating up. I'm like, whoa, what is happening? And I stick my hand in my, I had two batteries in my pocket. <laughs> I was like, oh, the spirit is moving. And it was like, it was two batteries that were heating in my pocket. <laughs> um, but then we moved to Houston and, uh, or to Kingwood. And I went to a Baptist church there for a little bit. And a friend of mine, uh, she was getting baptized. I think it was on Easter. And it was at an Assembly of God church. And I was like, oh, I want to check it out. You know, like, why not? And I went and the people were so friendly. They were so nice. Lots of hugs and just felt like a big family. Right. And as soon as I walked in, there was this guy that looks like, uh, um, what's the guy's name with the handlebar mustache? Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, kind of <laughs> looks like Sam Elliott. Right. And who would like, Hey, Sister Brittany, or Sister Brittany, he would always call me Sister Brittany. Like, and there was always like that, just like respect. Too. Loved it. I loved the people. I loved the worship. I loved just everything about it. Like the, the lively preaching and just, it didn't feel so sterile, which is yeah. kind of like with the Baptist church, I guess, looking back at kind of felt like. So yeah, really like the Baptists were really good with the word, right? They were really good with the Bible and teaching and all that where the Assemblies of God or Pentecostal were good with the Holy Spirit and just, you know, forming that relationship with God. Yeah. No setting to where people say, well, no one ever preaches on this. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> if you go to Assembly of God Church, you'll hear about Jezebel, you know, like just things <laughs> that, you know, might not pop up in the lectionary. <laughs> and I remember um, that's also where I, well, the Baptist Church, I kind of started learning how to play the guitar. And then at the Assembly of God Church, they found out that I played an instrument. So I was on the the youth worship band um, and I would play the guitar. I would play the, I played the bass for a while. And then for Sundays, I would play um, the acoustic. And on Sundays and Wednesdays, which were main church days, I had to wear a skirt or a dress. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. I remember the first Wednesday I showed up in jeans and a t-shirt and I got pulled aside and said, you know, if you want to do this, you've got to wear a skirt or a dress. Um, just totally enforcing gender. Oh yeah. 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 And I think my hair was, you know, as short as it is now, but it's something I wanted to do. And I was like, all right, like, yeah, if, the, if these are the stipulations, fine. You know, like I, I want to play. And I was at church every night, just about, you know, every time the door was open, I was there. I was, uh, Again, part of the worship team. I was part of the intercessory prayer group. Um, we had youth on Friday nights, I think, which was dumb because that's also when football was. But we also made <laughs> kids feel bad, right? Like you can <laughs> you can hip and holler for uh, for a football team, but you can't holler for Jesus. You know, it was just like <laughs> that was pretty brave to do in Texas. Shoot, <laughs> I, I know, I know, in East Texas, you know, like just 
Yeah, they love their, I mean, they love their football kids that were been banned and all this stuff. It was just, you know. Do you love Jesus or do you love? Do you love Jesus or do you love football? Um, Yeah, what's not going to save you from hell? That's amazing. Yeah, and then like the whole hell thing, right? Yeah, like getting the fire insurance and all that. And it's weird, like looking back at it and going, "How much did I really believe, or did I just want to like belong?" You know, that's that's what I'm wondering because it sounds like you were so committed. Like the fact that they enforced a bullshit gender stereotype on you when you were clearly not a person who wants to wear dresses or skirts yeah like how because you know setting here 20 whatever years later i think it's mm-hmm. easy for us to say like, you gave up a lot of who you were it sounds like. oh yeah yeah you've always been queer do you think it was fear that kept you in that space what do you think kept you in that space I think it was really, I mean, and this is a common theme throughout the the podcast is the community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that these people, like my dad died when I was in ninth grade and a group of people came over and just sat with me and my friend, you know, took me to Olive Garden that night and I still went to church. It was a Wednesday and I still went to church and, you know, this community just really like embraced me and they took, they really did. They really did take care of me. But then on the flip side, I think of my mom, right? Because my mom wasn't part of the church. She probably saw, you know, I only need to know basis, right? Like told her what she needed to know. And that was about it. Because I think if she would have known the the not so positive sides, um, she wouldn't have been as supportive as she was. And for me, our generation was raised, you know, you respect your elders. So I look to these people, they're older than me, they're parent figures. You know, I have friends and youth group that are like siblings i'm an only child so again i just felt like that i was wrapped in this community um and also like knowing that i had a calling like i didn't know what it would look like you know for me i was like for the longest time i wanted to be a missionary i was going to be a missionary to congo and the reason and i figured that out by going to see i think it was benny hen or something and i was like or maybe it was steve hill and people were always taking me to like different conferences and stuff. Before I went, I was like, all right, like, I know I'm like, I want to be a missionary. And if he says, you know, the the continent and the country, that's where I'm going to go. And he said Congo, Africa. And I was like, all right, that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to be a missionary to Congo, Africa. Do that, like wanting to do missions, wanting to just spread this like good news, right? And uh, it sounds like you had people supporting your call. Oh, too. yeah. Oh, for sure. You- so you were, they knew that you were called as well. Yeah. Yeah. And part of me, like wants to call my old pastor, right. I still like know his number and be like, Hey brother, so-and-so like, you want to know what I'm up to these days, you know, and even like calling like the, the Baptist church and be like, Hey, I'm a queer woman. You want to know what's going on with me? You know, <laughs> thanks for the or, see, y'all, y'all had a part in this, whether you like it or not, you know, like yeah. you, you played a major role. Cause like anytime there was a a conference, a convention, you know, they would always send me, always make sure that I was like going to the different workshops and learning as much as I could. Um, I did this thing called Warriors Camp. If you're in uh, the Hill Country, you know, in Texas and part of the Assemblies of God, you heard of Warriors Camp. It was like a month long boot camp for youth people where we would go up to Kerrville and we would uh, practice skits and we would have to memorize Bible verses, read books, write essays, do all this stuff. And then on the weekends, we would go and minister at different churches doing, um, I we call them like human videos where you act out, you know, 
to a song. We would do skits, uh, do children's programs, like all these things. Again, the church that I went to two years in a row, two or three years in a row for my birthday, they got me a cake that was camo because they were like, that's, that's Brittany's favorite color, camo. So it's like, how much do they know? It's so easy to be like, F these people, I don't want anything to do with them. But also going, looking back, going, what, what did y'all know? Did you see something in me? Yeah. Did you see something in me? And with the camo stuff, it wasn't like you were really trying to like suppress it. So, you know, and then also learning that the Assemblies of God ordained women back in the late 1800s. And I, I guess, I don't know where I was under the impression that women couldn't be preachers. Cause in my head, I'm like, okay, so I'll be a missionary Yes, same. Really, what is a missionary, right? Like, you can't just go overseas and be like, well, I'm a missionary. You know, like, you've got to have a job. You've got to do something, right? One of my favorite memories, and this is, you know, there's those tender moments that you have, right? Like, for the Baptist church, it was sitting in the pew, writing sermons, designing t-shirts, you know, just these little moments, right? And one of my favorite moments was when I was at the Assembly of God Church that I would stay and people would take me out to eat. They would bring me back to church because we would have church from 8.30, like a prayer, 30-minute prayer thing, Sunday school. Then we would have church and church would let out whenever, you know, yeah. Holy Spirit said it was done. Yeah, one one thirty, And then had to be back around uh, three o'clock for worship practice and then six o'clock service. And then again, you know, whenever Holy Spirit was done, you know, so Sundays were... A long day, but I would stay and I would just play my guitar in the sanctuary and I would walk and I would pray and I would just like really like, you know, even though I didn't feel anything, so I feel like I sound like a, a nut. <laughs> no, I don't think you do at all. It's fine, you know. It, um, it's really, it's so, it's really beautiful actually because I'm I'm seeing this like picture of of your commitment and you responding to your call. And to this beautiful relationship, I think what I'm hearing is this beautiful relationship with God, which is also, but also wrapped into this beautiful community that is helping you through all these things. But then there, of course, there's that outliner, which is from what I know about you now, was there ever a gap between your commitment to God and your involvement in the church and at all between being 11 years old? into this day or has that been pretty consistent at some point the community changed around you right yeah and and also like part of the human skits and you know all these things that we would do right there were always these themes it was like the kids that went out to party they go to hell you know the person having an abortion goes to hell the people in you know like a homosexual relationship go to hell premarital sex go you know like just Everyone's going to hell, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Besides a sweet old lady that has never done anything bad in her life. She yeah, better have made babies, though, right? Yeah, she, I know. That's probably where most of the indoctrination came through was through these skits and, you know, these different things. Uh, went to the military and found out that my chaplain there, and this was in uh, Lackland, she was... First, really the first female preacher that I had seen, and she was uh, ordained through the assemblies, assemblies of God. And I thought that was really cool. And I was like, all right, like, what do I have to do to be a chaplain? That sounds awesome. And she's like, you know, you've got to go to school. It's going to be like seven years or something. I'm like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I just got out of high school. School wasn't my thing. I am good. 
But I got involved in the chapels there. It was, I think that was really my first experience being exposed to like black church because it was predominantly black. It was like a a gospel service. It was so much fun. I played the bass. I feel like I could do anything I wanted to on the bass and it sounded fine. You know, it was just, it was so great. Um, actually, also in boot camp, they also had a, a gospel service, which was a lot of fun. And I went in boot camp. I also served as what was called a religious petty officer where I would help and go help set up services. And um, we had to sit through one service. So I always sat through the Catholic one. And we had this tall, lanky, old um, Catholic priest. Just, I mean, what you like envision as like a Disney Catholic priest, right? Funny guy. And he would slap us on the cheeks and go, hallelujah, you know, like he was just. He was cute and he was funny. Uh, going to Dubai, I found a church by just walking down my hallway in the apartments that I lived and hearing people having a small group. I heard worship music and I was like, wait, what? I'm in the Middle East. What's going on over here? And I slipped a note under the door and they invited me to their church and I got to meet Matt Redman. Um, I don't know if y'all know who he is, but he's a worship leader. He writes actually some really good songs. See, I love him. So he does a lot of like him sounding songs or like a hand drum and was a youth leader there again. So Oklahoma was probably my first like real faith crisis as far as like coming back and just years later realizing that I just fell into depression because I had been in, you know, this amazing place again with all these cultures, all these people, our church, I was the only American there, you know, at the time. Um, Our pastors were from England. We had people from Africa, India, Philippines. My best friends were from, uh, one was from Ethiopia, one was from the Philippines. But yeah, just having this rich cultural experience um, also within the church. And to me, I'm like, this is like heaven on earth. This is what I imagined heaven being like. Um, And then to go to Oklahoma, and again, it's just, it's military, it's white, it's, you know, it's, the food is boring, like just couldn't go to church. And at that time, I was already upset with the Assemblies of God because I felt like I'd been bamboozled on some things. I can't really remember what those things were, but I just remember like showing up at a church in Oklahoma going, oh, this looks like a cool place, right? This is when, so this was 2007, when a lot of Assembly of God churches were kind of shifting into that like non-denominational type thing. So you would look at the front of the church and the little AG thing wouldn't be out there. Sitting in this church going, okay, this is a cool place. I like it. And then flipping the bulletin over and the little AG (laughs) emblems on there. I'm like, no, I got to get out of here. You know. (laughs) So Oklahoma, the two years I was there, I didn't really go to church. Out of like Oklahoma, the military kind of feeling like, I need to do something. I go back to Houston for a little bit and my pastor's wife tells me about this internship called 220i and I'm like, "Okay, that sounds cool. I mean, it seems like y'all really like this, you know, Bethany place. Like our church was big into the Brownsville revival. We would go to Branded by Fire every year as a youth group. So you have these people preaching these like really nasty messages to you. And how does that set with you? Like I want to know, well, I guess that my my First question is, how did that set with you at the time? Like all of this, like really horrible theology. I I bought into it, right? Like who's holding the whip? And he would like bring out this guy and like whip him. He's like, every time you sin, you're real, you know, you're nailing Jesus back to the cross and horrible. And then they would have altar calls and, you know, there were thousands of people in the stadium and they would all run up and 
respond and it, all it is is theatrics it's his ego boost yeah who's holding the whip um what was another one like blood on your hands he would come out and like have like blood but if you don't if you don't uh witness to your friends and get them saved their blood is on your hands and you know you're gonna die and it's weird right then also being a little confused but buying into it but going but if i die and go to heaven where there's no more tears there's no more suffering then why is there blood on my hands but i think we found out about all his stuff when I came back from the internship, because he would come to our church, you know, and minister and stuff. He was a great actor. There's <laughs> so, something about charismatic people being in these evangelical spaces. Like it's very, it's charming and you're drawn to them for a reason. Yeah. Well, we went to the, what was it? The psychology of a serial killer. And the guy that was there, he's like this doctor and he like, you know, this is what he studies and he was saying sociopaths, psychopaths, that they don't have their frontal, like, I think it's like the frontal cortex or something like they, they can't empathize. They can't, you know, share okay. feelings with people or whatever. Yeah. Um, and he's like, you know, there's only a certain amount that end up being serial killers, right? Others, you know, are successful doctors, successful lawyers, because they can just do things and they don't have you know, that fear factor. Right. And I'm like, you know, I want to be like evangelical preachers, you know, (laughs) 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 yeah, (laughs) they're the same. And, uh, yeah, he kind of, he called evangelicals out too, which was great. I loved it. But I think like that, the climax for, I'll, I'll just label it as self-hate. Right. Because I was, I didn't come out until a few years ago. Did you Uh, know you were queer though? I think I, know I, I lied to myself for a long time. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I know I suppressed it because I know there would be feelings that would come up and I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, like yeah. everyone that knows me knows how much I love Brandy Carlisle. And I listened to her back in 2008 when the story came out driving around Oklahoma city and going, I have those feelings are coming back up. Right. I'm like, Nope. And so I didn't listen to Brandy again. Um, oh. That's for years brandy and also when jennifer knapp came out when jennifer knapp came out i was like oh shit and was really excited but also like uh like jennifer knapp like just did not care like she was she so she did christian music um and they tried to be like hey you know you've got to either pick your sexuality or christianity and she's like fuck y'all i'm going to australia <laughs> you're not you're not putting you know you're not taking this away from me so uh, turns out you're not god yeah you're not god yeah, so the internship that I did in uh, at Bethany Royal Prayer Center in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I say it because I want people to know. I want y'all to look it up. We and I went, and I know them. you're not. You said you didn't. You try to forget about it, but I am curious about. Oh that. yeah, no, I'll still talk about it. And we we called them out a couple of years ago, and they tried to issue an apology, and it was a half-assed one. Like, we're sorry that. Um, sorry you got hurt. <laughs> yeah, sorry you got hurt. But look at look at the good we're doing, right? Like. But get there, and I had on like I think some like cut off um, camo pants from my military days, t-shirt, bandana on my head, and I remember them praying for me. And their their thing was is if they think that you had homosexual tendencies, they would put their hand on your tummy whenever they would pray for you to get the demons out, of course. And, That's where the <laughs> and so they they try to they try to call me out a few times and i was like i am not gay people so they knew you were gay before you knew, knew you were knew. Gay. everybody knew i was gay right like even in the military <laughs> in dubai i had a friend that was like he came out to me i'm like why do people always come out to me you know like <laughs> i don't get it <laughs> I'm not gay, but this internship they so the first three days we were there was boot camp where we stayed outside. We slept outside. We were outside for three days. We 
the only thing we got to eat were crackers and tuna fish. Uh, I think we got like a Nutrigain in the in the morning. I hate tuna fish, so I just ate the crackers. And we had to do all these team building exercises. And um, at one point, they brought out chickens. And if you lost your chicken, you had to go chase your chicken. So you'd see interns like running across the field trying to chase the chicken. That's someone that would kind of make fun of me because I would go from church to church. Because I, I would get somewhere and then I would go, uh, I would stay somewhere long enough to go... That doesn't sit right with me, right? And and usually ended up being something um, against the queer community. And I think that was around like 2012. So a couple of years after the internship, sitting in the service and the guys, you know, talking about Romans, you know, homosexuals won't go into the kingdom of God. Again, it's a verse that's been mistranslated. But the verse right after that, and I was sitting next to his granddaughter and I pointed to it, I'm like, He's ignoring this part where it says, but none of y'all are any better. I'm like, how is he saying this? You know, it's like, let's just read this little part because it says what we want to say, right? But we're going to ignore this other part that says you're no better. The struggle with the queer theology, if we can call it that for now, has always been there because I, again, my mom was not a churchgoer. So she would, she would challenge me on things, right? Like yeah. sitting with her and her friend watching a show and the guy said, ass, I'm like, I can't watch this, you know? And I get up and like go to my room and she comes in and she's like, <laughs> what is your problem? She's like, you can't, you know, out in the world, you know, you can't just like ignore people when they say something that you don't agree with. I'm like, yes, but I can control what I watch and what I listen, you know, like just, yeah. it was a little shit. <laughs> my unintelligent question is how are you so normal? now but the in in a good way like in a cool way uh my question i guess really is like how manic laughter (laughs) how did you get from it sounds like you were just like a like a frog in a boiling water like it got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse yeah the fact that you you finished that internship and you continued to stay in those conservative spaces those evangelical spaces um which you are definitely not in now. Why, Rex, <laughs> are you an evangelical? <laughs> Sean Foyt. And if you don't know who Sean Foyt is, look him <laughs> up. <laughs> oh, man. It, his, his pictures will make you want to vomit. What really did it was, I think it was probably about 2017, 2016, 2017, the last trip I went to overseas was Malaysia. And on the way back, I started reading this book called The Very Worst Missionary by Jamie Wright. And she would probably identify as an ex-evangelical. And she was just kind of like breaking down why she thought her and her husband, ex-husband, were on the mission field to, I think it was Costa Rica. And she was really like, like, what are we doing here? Like, what's what's the purpose behind all this? Like, why... Do they need our Jesus? Yeah. And just kind of reading her story and going, okay, like there's, this is someone that's questioning things that I've been a part of my whole life. Again, missions, right? Missions has been in my heart since I came to faith. Yeah. Since I was little, but also in the book, she talks about like, she was a youth leader and one of her kids came out and no one was there for her. Like no one was there for the kid. And she ended up uh, marrying, you know, the, the girl to her wife. And that to me, I was like, whoa, like there's people like that, you know? And so this kind of like started the slippery slope, right? So Jamie, right. And I don't, oh, so my friend, um, Dana, 
would always post these books, right? Dana and I went to youth group together. Dana was the rebel as far as like questioning everything. She's got a very cool story. Now, I don't know if it's cool. Like, I don't know if we can use that word, but a, a very interesting story that we need to get on here. She was posting these books and one of the authors was Nadia Boltzweber and read every, I've read every single book Nadia has done and going, oh, well, and listen, like, and, and this was before the pandemic. So there wasn't as much material because now Nadia has so much because again, the pandemic, what else was there to do? But just listening to everything that she put out, and someone that's this minister that's tatted. I don't think she swears as much, but she she was, you know, a frequent swearer in her her messages and reading something Boyle. He's a he's a priest and he has homeboy ministries over in uh Los Angeles and reading about his journey with like gang members and you know just kind of bringing them in and starting all, you know, that allowing them to start businesses and stuff. So seeing people that were actually like reading the words of Jesus, and that was the thing too, right? I've read the Bible. I've read it from cover to cover. And it's hard to be someone that's read it cover to cover and not go, wait a second. Are we mm -hmm. actually living what Jesus taught? And seeing these people that like, not, what blew my mind about Nadia Boltzweber was um, her church, All Sinners and Saints, I think is what it's called, in Denver, Colorado. Um that she would say everyone participated in the liturgy, everyone, you know, if there's, a, you know, she had drag queens, she had uh, trans people, you know, everyone on the spectrum, she had straight people, everyone participated in the liturgy, everything. I mean, it was, you know, the term that we use is like an open table, like everyone belonged, everyone was accepted. And I was like, man, that's the church I want to be a part of. I don't want to be a part of a church where you walk in and everyone looks the same. They all sound the same. And they're also hiding things, right? And they're a little sadistic, clearly. Yeah, yeah. And then hearing things like people going, <laughs> so one of my friends, her mom would worry just all the time. She was the secretary for the pastor for years. And, you know, we were little assholes. And we hit a Corona beer in her refrigerator and she found it and she got so mad. She's like, well, what if somebody from the church came over and decided to clean my fridge and they found this Corona, you know, it's just like, you know, just people like hiding and like really worrying about things that don't matter. There's bigger fish to fry. Like you're, you're, you're kicking these people out or you'll let them in, right? Like queer people right. will let them into our churches. You can't do anything, but we'll take your money. You know, oh, maybe you can greet. You, but he won't let you stay that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you know, bring the fish in and we'll clean them. You know, that was something that they would say too. <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard That's that. That's so right? gross. Yeah, yeah. Just catch them. Your your fishermen, bring them in. We'll we'll clean them up. And we'll get them open and don't worry. Yeah, about like <laughs> what the hell? And then like the the proverbial you know straw that broke the camel's back. The church that I was at that. uh no, it's it's no longer a church because of a lot of the the leadership during the um, last uproar with the Black Lives Movement when uh, when George, George Floyd, Floyd uh, died, there was Murdered. a big uproar and split, um, which I think was a good thing because we had we were kind of uh, modeled after Bethel over in Redding, California, kind of dangerous, you know, and a lot of them uh, fell into the whole QAnon ideology and you know just the christian nationalism definitely rose and again sean foyt he came one time and he did a worship thing great worship leader whatever loved it you know it was good um second time was when he was running for uh senate office 
in California and that's when I really heard, and I didn't have the the verbiage for Christian nationalism, but that's when I really saw this, like, this is not good. This is dangerous. I got to get out of here. And he was talking about how, uh, oh, you know, him and his daughter go to India once a month. And, you know, they sell, they, yeah, they help all these little, you know, Indian children. And then it seemed like in the same breath, he's like, but the evangelical church is dying and we need more white babies is what I, what I was hearing. Right. And I asked somebody else, I'm like, did you hear the same thing? And she's like, yeah, I did. I was like, that's pretty line. Yeah. It's like save the Brown children, but fuck the Brown people and the, the marginalized people that are here. So I was like, yeah, I just, I got, I got to get out. And I struggled with it so much. And, you know, again, the people that found the church was really good friends with them. And, um, just got to the point where I was like, I have to step down. I can't play anymore. I can't, you know, I've just got to move on. And I didn't really tell him what was going on, but like deconstruction was like there. Like it was like, yeah. I, I can't, like if I, when I, every time I come in the church, I'm just like, I don't feel good. Like I just, you know, yeah. Was so this, would you have already been accepted to seminary at that point? not yet no this was i think this was right before the pandemic so your deconstruction did it hit right was it part of you applying to seminary yeah and i think it was a process right like i think it's been a process for a very long time you know because it's not like you just wake up one day and you're like hey you know like i'm (laughs) i don't believe this anymore right and you know kind of going back to dubai when i was you know i served with people from nepal and i love these people And one guy was, you know, they were mainly Hindu, Buddhist, and there were a few Christians, right? And the Hindu guy, one of the Hindus was a very devout Hindu that would fast and he would pray and he would do all these things. I'm like, how is he any different than me when I fast and pray? Like, I don't, I don't understand the difference. Why would, why would my God not accept him into heaven? Like, I don't get it. So I think like little bits and pieces like that throughout, you know, the, the 20 years that I've been a Christian and then just, and I mean, this is a common thing, right? 2016 kind of like accelerated everything for, cause a lot of like these evangelicals and everything, 2016 was the tipping point where we're like, we cannot do this anymore. We're seeing the church for what it is. And when I say the church, the, you know, evangelical church, that the racism is more apparent. The homophobic is more apparent homophobia, sorry, um, the xenophobia, just things were just like awful, right? You see this, you know, the Trump administration and people are getting hurt because of words that he's saying and people are acting out on it, right? The insurrection, like we've got to protect the White House and these people, you know, insurrected the White House. Right. <laughs> and you know, again, if it was a group of, you know, minorities, they would have probably all been killed. Like it was just, it's, I don't think, I don't know if I answered your question, but yeah, it's so seminary, if we want to go into that. So I kind of feel like when Sean was there the last time that I was already thinking about seminary, the reason why that came up again, because I had thought about the chaplaincy, right? I I thought about having that conversation with the chaplain going, man, I could have done this several times already. And to be a military chaplain, like at the time, my husband, I'm like, he would get, you know, great benefits. We would be set, you know? And so I started that process. I started talking to a Navy recruiter and 
came to Austin Prez back in uh, February 2020 uh, for the Martin Luther King Day celebration. And it was just, it was a cool experience. It was neat to be, I mean, it was right before the school shut down, before everything happened, be on this campus. And, you know, I don't know if I'd really seen like queer folks, but it just felt like a good place. Like it felt like somewhere that was safe. I sat in Susie Park's class of judges and (laughs) they were talking about, oh God, like one of the daughters having maybe sex with a donkey or something. I'm like, hold up. And the the biggest takeaway from that was when Susie was like, you know, it could mean this, it could mean that, might not mean any of this. That blew my little evangelical mind because it was always whatever (laughs) the pastor said, right? Like, no, this person judges means X, Y, Z, and that's what it means. And so you would go, oh, brother so-and-so said that judges means X, Y, and Z. So it meant, you know, like you, you believed what they said, right? You didn't have the, um, the critical thinking to go. Mm, you know, maybe sometimes like when it came to queer issues and stuff. So then the pandemic hits, right? And at that time I was working in real estate. I was a transaction coordinator. So, you know, I was able to work at home. And in that time I was like, all right, well, you know, seems like a good time to start reading and, you know, let's pick up some podcasts. I love going for walks. I would go on, you know, two or three hour walks, um, every day listening to podcasts, but then really starting to go, okay, well, let's explore some things. You know? And I read, and a lot of this is repeated, sorry guys, but Glennon Doyle, I read Love Warrior, um, I think a, a couple years before. And at the end, she stays with her husband. She talks about, you know, like just her, her struggles with um, like she had an eating disorder and um, drugs and all sorts of stuff. Um, at the end stays with her husband. I'm like, all right, cool. You know, and then a couple of years later, she comes out with untamed and at this time she's married to Abby. And I remember when that happened, I was like, what? (laughs) 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 Like Leonard, what? what?" Um, and reading untamed and the whole time going, oh, I should read it again. Um, but going, huh? Oh, oh." (laughs) you know, um, and the, the part where she and Abby, beat for the first time in the hotel room. I read that chapter like three or four times. And I remember closing the book and then looking at my husband and going, okay, I said, uh, I need to say something. I, we need to talk. And I am a nine on the Enneagram and we usually hide our feelings and the things that we want to say. And he knows that. So he knew, okay, like I, I need to, to listen. <laughs> and I said, I think I'm by. And he goes, Okay. <laughs> and he gets up and he goes and lays on the couch. And the next day he texts me. He's like, why did you say this? I was like, hey, I just felt like I needed to say, you know, I'm making dinner. And he starts asking me all these questions. Like, have you ever thought about being with a girl? Have you ever imagined what it would be like? You know, all these. And I just stopped. And I was like, you know, I have never allowed myself to go there. Like, I don't know. I felt like that conversation gave me the permission to go. Okay. So you've said this. So now there's no, you know, there's no shame. So at the same, at the same time, um, is when Nadia wrote shameless, Mattia Roberts wrote, maybe he wrote shameless after shame. I don't know. Both really good books. I will, I, I do need to make sure I link them, but these open my eyes, right? Cause Nadia Boltzweber kind of says, you know, there's no shame in sexuality and your preference, all these things, right? Mattia Roberts kind of goes into more of like a clinical of like, 
like it's the book that I wish I would have had as a teenager for sex. And this is how we can explore relationships. And this is, you know, consent and all these things, right? Consent's not a word that comes up in the evangelical church. You stay <laughs> with your husband, you make it work. Uh, you don't attempt, you don't make men fall through. No, no. You go, oh my God. I remember the, the last wedding I went to with my, my ex-husband and us and his parents, we were just like cringing because the guy was the uh, officiant was like, and you make sure you stick with him through sickness and health. And if he's a piece of shit to you, you know, like, this is what we're hearing. Yeah, right? Like you yeah, still stay yeah. with him no matter what. Um, promise yep. that you'll, you know, blah, blah, blah. And what does she get? Yeah. Thing, well, she gets right? to continue yeah. to be the object, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was Protected just... object in this system. And to hear this other message of like, you have consent, you have, you know, agency over your body, over, you know, who you are and, you know, what you want to do. It was just, it was kind of mind blowing. Right. And you uh, can experience pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And these are things like even, and you know, for the longest time I, I would kind of blame my mom for things, but looking back going, this was like what my mom was trying to teach me. Cause I remember my mom having the talk with me when I was young, she yeah. would go, okay, just make sure, you know, you have protection and that, you know, you're safe and all this stuff. And then, you know, I get into the church and I'm like, abstinence, abstinence. But also when they're talking about like, you know, and if you have a crush on a boy, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> am I supposed to have a crush on a boy yeah, when you don't yeah. want to have sex with someone <laughs> yeah I'm like who do I who do I think is cute um Mario Lopez which I think I still think Mario Lopez is the one of the most adorable human beings I think it's his little dimples you know he's a big transphobe though right is he ah oh, fuck I'm sorry Did damn I mean, it <laughs> like the one guy you think is cute <laughs> Sometimes uh, really doesn't know when to stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mario Lopez, you can be redeemed. Just turn <laughs> away from your wicked ways. Lord forgive him. He knows not what he's saying or doing. Uh, yeah, like the the whole abstinence thing for me was not hard at all. Uh, but I think I just kind of went along with it because I'm like, hey, this is what we're supposed to say. This is what we're supposed to do, right? But anytime I did have feeling, like I remember being in Dubai and putting together some furniture and I bought um, Ellen, the Ellen, the TV show, not the, you know, talk show, but the TV yeah, yeah, show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And watching those and going, you know, those feelings coming up again. I'm like, oh man, the church is so right. You got to watch what you, you know, what you listen to, what you, you know, read and all this stuff. So, but I think that I was just like, well, you know, I'm just going to keep watching it because it's funny. I like Ellen. Yeah, all these like <laughs> books and reading and podcast. And then I'm um, getting to a point where I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to go to therapy for a year before I go to seminary. And I just, when I said that to my ex, um, I just, I knew I was like, that's bullshit. And I was trying to teach myself to listen to myself. Right. Cause yeah. again, being so used to like, suppressing it out. you just yeah. try to people please and oh so i was like okay that's bs and we had to have the you know hard conversations of like you know what do we do um it's like i know i'm, I'm more than bi i'm not really bi i'm i'm a full-blown lesbian and just those really hard conversations right like even in our lives like we felt like we were going two different ways like i had a good friend that was like don't blame it on the sexuality like just look and see where you're at he wanted kids. I didn't want kids. I didn't want kids with the man. Uh, so having that Harvard conversation and then, you know, we 
agreed to separate, I think it was like May or June, 2020. And I stayed like, I lived in the house until I left in August, uh, man, that was a hard time. Like it was grief and just like, what am I doing with my life? Like, I know I'm going to be happy. It's going to be fine, but it was, it was hard. It was a, it was a hard decision. And I didn't fully come out until I got to Austin in that September. And again, it was frightening, but it was probably one of the most liberating things I've done. And the thing that I kind of joke about is that I've like coming out was nobody was surprised, right? No one was really surprised. Um, And now when I talk to people like at school or wherever, and I go, yeah, you know, my ex, when I was married, they're like, a woman, right? I'm like, no, it's a man. They're like, what? You know, you know, the joke is like, I always had to come out as straight. I never like coming out <laughs> as as gay or queer was never an issue. Like people would all the time be like, oh, but you're gay, right? I'm like, no, sorry. <laughs> like I had to prove my straightness. So why, why did you want to do this podcast? And the kind of question underneath there is like, is this podcast what you wish you had had when you were younger? Yeah. Um, so the reason for the podcast is it was, we had an assignment in, in an evangelical class to interview an evangelical, And I'm like, this is right up my alley. Like, this is stuff I can talk about all the time. It comes very easy, very natural. And yeah, um, I do wish I would have had this podcast you know, and I'm hoping that people that are hearing these stories, and I feel like that right now the audience is a lot of ex-evangelicals, um, but for the ex-evangelicals, I want them to hear it and go, oh, you know, kind of like how I felt when I when I watched Nadia or read her books, like, I'm not alone in this. There's other people that are going through similar things. Um, and I never want to say like, oh, I know what you're going through as far as like, because I don't. Uh, similarly, like, our stories could be similar, but we could, again, go through totally different things. And then for the ones that aren't evangelicals that listen to it, you know, that they hear our stories and go, hmm, like, you know, and I think one of the reasons too, or one of the, you know, my wife, like, didn't grow up in church. So she hears these stories and she's like, that happened, you know, and it kind of like helps us to go, you know, here, like, that was not right. Like, that shouldn't have happened. So that helps out a whole lot. Yeah. I wonder too, if it helps to build empathy because mm. there are so many people like the grow, the church that is growing is the evangelical churches, people, and maybe not all those spaces are bad. I don't know. I'm not God, but <laughs> I wonder, like, I feel like <laughs> more of us are being made <laughs> than less of us. And I would like it to go mm. the other way. But um, I wonder if just like people who, aren't in those spaces, didn't grow up in those spaces, will have empathy for the people that are in those spaces because the people that are in those spaces right now are in a lot of ways who we are, you know, we both been up at the legislative, at the Capitol. They're the people on the other side, you know? And mm-hmm. as much as they um, are, are per- personally making my life a living hell right now, I also have empathy because I know that they are setting with the fear of hell, mm-hmm. deep shame, the, oh, yeah. the all the uncomfortableness, the disconnected, like you said, from what I feel is like disconnected from their own humanity. And and so 
I see this Morgan and I were talking about this morning. It's like, what is behind that? And I, and yeah. I wonder if it is just all of this turmoil underneath oh, yeah. Yeah. being lashed out. And so I don't know what my empathy is going to do for them <laughs> or yeah. for me, but I don't think that empathy is ever bad. So and that's what I remind myself too, right? Like when I look around and I see, you know, all all those folks there and I look, I even look, I'm like, I looking for people I know. Cause I'm like, I know people that would be sitting here. And I try to remember that too. Cause for them, like you run into them in the elevator and stuff and they're laughing and you know, like one, I ran into one and she touched me on the arm. She's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like they don't realize like the damage that they're doing. They have no idea the damage that they're doing. To yeah, them, this is just like, work. oh, we're going up to the Capitol with our friends. We're going to go out to eat afterwards. They don't understand the harm that they're actually doing. And it is, it's empathy, it's relationship. What I, lo- what I love about Morgan and is that he will shake every single person's hand. And yeah. he told me that he's like, because I want them to know that they shook the hand of a trans man that generally like that is just a precious human being yeah and that they take that away like not take it away but they they walk away they have had this experience they had this experience right like and i like it's it's yeah you know i think of our friend bis like bis is to me like i have a picture of them from my wedding wearing you know the blonde hair and the pink outfit and going like the like you know kind of hugging themselves i'm like why do you want to hurt my friend? Like, this is my friend. I gave, yeah, I get like just one of the most precious human beings that I know. And that's most of my trans friends, you know, I, before I came to Austin, I can only think of one trans person that I, I knew was trans. Right. And people say, Oh, I don't know. You do, you know, trans people, they just don't feel comfortable. They're not going to come out to you, but yeah, it's, we, we have a lot of work to do. My biggest thing is community, you know, finding out ways to, you know, like to infiltrate with love. Right. And I think that's even when we go up to the Capitol, like there's even contention within our group, right. Where we still have to be aware, you know, that's one thing that I don't know if it's an ADHD thing or if it's, you know, military, but always having this awareness and looking and going, okay, like, you know, we sit in these certain areas and Heather, <laughs> Heather was great. I sat in Heather's section and, um, anytime, especially red shirt, which sat down, she's like, Hey, welcome to our group. You know, we're the nicest, you know, group in the, in the, um, in the gallery, you know, and people would come and sit with us and stuff. And then you have one person that's with our group that was kind of antagonizing the people in the red shirts. I'm like, I want to fight too, but that's not how we get them. You know, like we, we do, we have to like push through and go, you know, maybe pass out the, what would Jesus do? You know, bracelets again, but it's just, you know, the community has, has changed my mind. I mean, that's where for me, it was, you know, hearing people dying by suicide and going, why am I not standing up for this person yet? I'm trying to protect my my friends over here you know the people that you know essentially raised me in the church like why am i trying to protect them you know in their mind they're going to heaven they're they're set right mm-hmm. yet this person over here is 
dealing with depression, suicidal thoughts, you know, they, the church has hurt them. You know, they, they don't know what, you know, they don't know up from down. Like I should be over here. Y'all are fine. You know, you've got to figure out what, what you're going to do. And I started blocking people too. Like one thing that Kevin Garcia says is block and bless. And I love that because there's people that, you know, I, I, I have those good memories from the previous church. Um, and when I say previous church, we're going to talk about like the one in Houston that if I ran into these people at Walmart, Target, maybe not Target right now, um, but <laughs> you know, H-E-B that I would genuinely, I think I would genuinely be happy to see them, mm. you know, where yeah. seeing what they're posting on Facebook, I'm like, I can't, <laughs> like, I don't, I, I shouldn't, you know, I don't, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Life is hard. Yeah. Where, so now that the session is over for now, I know we're going to have a special session probably in September because they don't want the teachers to be able to show up for the trying to kill public education in Texas. Where are you going to put your energies right now? Uh, with my family. <laughs> I also I have, mean, yeah, uh, one. yeah. <laughs> um, I have color splash coming up at the end of July. So trying to get some more churches on board for that. I will be preaching once a month. So, you know, into that, trying to rest, get out on the paddleboard. Rest is resistance. Us living our lives is resistance. I'm learning more about this, you know, because we could fight. We could be angry all the time. But what good is that going to do? Hope I can, you know, yeah, have coffee with my friends, Carrie, (laughs) you know, like just see people in person to con- you know continue to nurture these relationships that started at the Capitol. That's one thing I love about going to the Capitol because it's like a family reunion of people you like, yeah. <laughs> you know. <Yeah. laughs> um, Chosen family. There's so much community there. And we go through, I mean, it's a tough time. I didn't, this is my first year of really going through the legislative session. And it was hard. Like, I don't know how people do it year to year. I know. And it's hard, but it was this year was the hardest I've ever experienced. And that, that's what I've heard. Next step is to get into the offices uh, for me, because I, I felt like, you know, I'm trying to do this thing too, where I do things a little bit at a time, because my personality is just to like jump into something and then I burn out, right? Yeah. Uh, kind of the same thing for the podcast. Like, that's why I do an episode a week. I try to record as much as possible beforehand. Um, that way Wednesday night I set it up for Thursday and we're done you know we're in the beginning I just wanted to release all the episodes but that's overwhelming for other people too but yeah just just taking care of myself gonna sit down with the wife get a honeydew list for the house but yeah maybe read listen to more podcasts continue to grow to continue to learn see see what we need yeah I love that I think that's that's awesome well, is there anything else? This is your podcast. What I think Jonathan Van Ness is always like, what's that yoga move? That thing that we didn't do. We're at the end of now. What is that one thing you, you want to say on your heart? Yeah, no, I, I can't think of anything. Um, but yeah, we'll have you back on so we can talk about the satanic panic of the the 90s and 2000s. Yeah, um, I've been haunted by uh, a this particular uh this particular incident in my church so i'd love to talk about that oh yeah we, we we've thought about playing with the idea of starting our own podcast so if y'all want that let us know 
Yeah, if you've listened this far, I know this is a longer (laughs) podcast than usual. Well, I do want to, I want to thank you as someone who is a fan of your podcast, that it is like, um, I'm probably listening. I'm probably one of the people that deconstructed the longest ago or has my deconstruction process has been many decades long. Um, (laughs) but I still found a lot of healing from Mm. hearing everyone's stories. So I think that you put out a really beautiful gift to the world. You are a gift to the world, obviously. And I'm really glad that through all the bullshit that you have had to experience that you, that still small voice, I think it's so awesome that God just was like, no, <laughs> no, we'll put them, we'll put them where we need them. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, awesome. Like Nadia Boltzweber said, I wish I could be an atheist, you know, and it just doesn't. I think I was an atheist for about a day, and I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> Does that work for me? <laughs> I can't. You, I think you have to have more faith to be an atheist and not to be an atheist. <laughs> agreed, agreed. I'm like, man, Russell, I don't know how you do this, right? I know. Rest. You know. Okay. Is there a prayer that I do? No, just kidding. <laughs> Well, Carrie, thank you so much. I love you. I love you. I love you. That does it for season one. What a great season. Uh, We had some incredible guests. We will be back in August, the first Thursday. We have some wonderful people that are lined up again. If you want to get in touch, please reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook. If you're listening through Spotify, please leave a review. Y'all have an incredible rest of your summer and we will see you in August. Goodbye.